Have you ever had your life interrupted? Sure we have. We've had our lives interrupted. And when I read it in the Bible of people whose lives were interrupted, they were people who became world changers. I think of the first one, he was probably a carpenter. I don't know that the Bible really tells us that much about him. But his name was Noah. And he was going about his business. And one day God said, hey, Noah, I want you to build a boat. And he didn't live down by the sea. He lived up in the hills. And God said, build a boat. And his life was not just interrupted for a day or a two or a week or a year. It was over 100 years. And he kept at it. And when the flood came, because he had interrupted his life, God had interrupted it, salvation came to humankind. Those in the ark were safe. And then we go a little bit further, and this guy who's, who's doing well in business, he lives down in Ur, Ur the Chaldees, the Bible tells us. And, and, and God came along and said, hey, Abraham, I, I want you to quit your business here. I want you to leave your family here. I want you to leave your gods and religions here. And I, I want you to follow me to a place that, well, I'll show you step by step as we go. And what an interruption to Abraham's life. And then we got this guy Moses, who we're going to talk about this morning. And, and he's out in the desert, and he's walking along, and he's been, he's been dealing with sheep. Sheep are dumb. They get into all kinds of difficulties. They need a shepherd. And, and the shepherd isn't behind beating them and prodding them. He's out in front leading them. You can't, you can't get behind sheep and, and prod them and get them. They'll go every which way. But you get out in front and you lead, and that's why God gives us pastors. And he's out there tending sheep. This guy with probably the best education in the world. Because at that point, Egypt was the most advanced nation in the world. And so here he is, now out there with a bunch of dumb sheep. Forty years, and all of a sudden, his life got interrupted by a bush. Yeah, by a bush. And there are a lot more, too. There's this guy Gideon who's afraid of the Midianites, uh, and so he takes the wheat from down on, uh, on the plain and goes up in the hills to a wine press, and he is, he is threshing his wheat in a wine press because he doesn't feel the Midianites will find him up there and, and take it away from him. His life gets interrupted. There's an angel come and says, mighty man of God. And he says, you got the wrong guy here. Who are you talking to, angel? Our family is the least of our tribe, and our tribe is not, uh, <laughs> not very prominent. And, and I'm the least of our family. 
mighty man of God. But God interrupted him. We all know the story of Gideon and the 300 and the defeat of the Midianites. And then there's a guy named Jonah. <laughs> and God says, you go to Nineveh, the most wicked place on earth at that point. And, and, and Jonah said, no, no, no I, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I, I, I'm going to go to another place at need. Those people deserve your punishment. They deserve to go to hell. God, that he deserved to go to hell too, except for God's salvation. And I think sometimes when we condemn others, we forget how needy we are of a Savior. And so God interrupted his life, and he ends up in the belly of a fish. The Bible says that wicked city, the most wicked city on earth, repented in sackcloth and ashes. Because God interrupted Jonah. And then, then we've got a, a, a wonderful woman. Uh, we look at the Bible and we see the story of Ruth and we get all excited about Ruth. But do you know, probably greater than Ruth was another woman. There is famine in the land of Israel. And she is from Bethlehem. Do you know what that means? That means house of bread. Bet is house in Hebrew, and lechem is, is bread. And so Bethlehem means literally the house of bread. And there was famine in the house of bread. And so her husband takes her and the two boys and heads to Moab. And the boys are growing up, and so they, they, they find wives there. They get married, and things are going pretty good. And and then the two boys die. And now here she is, a widow, with two daughter-in-laws who are widows. And she says, hey, back to your people. Find a husband. You're young. Have a family. Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wow. In the midst of all that's happening that's wrong, Naomi lived such a life Ruth said, I want to be just like you, and I want to serve the God that you serve and, and does the things that you do. Wow. Life interrupted. Then there's a guy named Daniel. <laughs> He's of noble birth. He, 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 he lives well. Comes Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian and takes him and, and the other young men of nobility who had a better education and, and uh, knew something about leadership, and he takes him down to Babylon. Life interrupted. Wow! From a great future to now a slave. Oh, oh not a slave laboring in the field, but one who is going to work for this ungodly. 
Oh, he had more than one interruption, friends. He's praying three times a day, and where did it get him? In a lion's den. What an interruption. And, of course, there's Jesus in the New Testament. At the height of his ministry with, with the crowds lining the streets that lead into Jerusalem and putting their garments and palm fronds down in front of him and, and, and worshiping him as he goes by to a few days later when he's hanging on a cross. Life interrupted. And let me give you one more. Paul. Here's Paul, a religious nut, if I can say that. He was an extremist, and he was about to wipe out this sect called Christianity. And he's on the road to Damascus. Wow, God came and knocked him off his horse into the ditch. You know, God needs to knock us off of our high horse. He needs to help us see we're laying in the ditch. We're not as good as we think we are, friends. Life interrupted. But he meets Jesus and becomes probably the greatest Christian in all of history. A man who knew God in such powerful ways. A man who could reach down to get firewood and a, a poisonous snake latches on and pumps his poison into him and he shakes it off in the fire and there's no ill effects. Wow. And we could go on with the stories of life interrupted. That could be a whole series. <laughs> I've, just given you, I've just given you 10 here, but it could be a whole series. But I, I want to zero in on Moses in Exodus 3 today. If you have your Bibles, whether it's a, a book Bible or whether it's a Bible app on your phone, whichever you have, uh, would you read along with me and, and follow along as I read the third chapter, the first ten verses. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Wow. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here am I. It's our response when God deals with us. We say, here am I. Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called to him for the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So 
I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Termites. Oh, no, that one wasn't in there. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing you. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Can we pray, Father? Make your word clear to us that we don't come away confused with wrong meanings. But Lord, what you want to apply to each one of us, you know us in our uniqueness, you know us in our weaknesses. You know us in our strengths. You know us in our failings. And today, Lord, you want to speak to our hearts as you did that day to Moses. And so we just commit this next few minutes to opening and looking at your word for us today out of this wonderful story that's recorded in Exodus chapter 3. Amen. This morning, can I invite you to a seminar? How many of you have ever attended a seminar to learn something that you needed or wanted to learn about? And I want to invite you to a seminar as we began this new year of 2023. And I'm going to call it the Burning Bush Seminar. It was a one-on-one confrontation with Almighty God. My friends, there is nothing like a one-on-one confrontation with Almighty God. You don't come away the same. You are changed. And you're either going to go on and see God do wonderful things, or you're going to hide, struggle, and probably be miserable. Because you haven't responded to what God wants to do for you. You know, Moses had been schooled in the finest schools, universities that you could find in that day. I mean, he had learned reading and writing and trigonometry and geometry and, and science and, and uh, warfare and uh, religions and I mean, he was, he was in the household of Pharaoh, and they had all of, he had private tutors. Yet in those few minutes at that burning bush seminar, he was transformed. And God wants to invite you to that place of being transformed in 2023. And then watch what God will do through a frail instrument like we are. God took Moses to a brief but life-changing seminar, and it changed the course of history. And as we look at this portion of Scripture, I I want us to go back and and read again verses 2 and 3, 
And there it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So God, Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And the first thing I see here is that God has a purpose for each of our lives. I don't care what your talents are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you're walking through. God has a purpose for each of our lives. Moses has been in the wilderness for 40 years, and he'd seen a bazillion bushes. And do you know, never once did he rush home at the end of the day, get there and, and say to his wife, Zipporah, I've seen a bush in the desert today. No, no, that, that wasn't table conversation when he came for supper. Bushes were ordinary. They were common. They were insignificant. They were never the conversation around the table. However, when the glory of God filled that bush, it was transformed. And you may feel that your life is insignificant. You may feel that you are worthless and useless and uninteresting, but I'm here to tell you, if you become like that burning bush with God's fire burning in you, he transforms your life. He changes you, and you begin to make an eternal contribution. I mean, we look at contribution of people in this world, and, and, and thank God for Mr. Edison that invented the light bulb. But we're talking about making a contribution for eternity. You know, God doesn't look at our abilities, He looks at our availability. And as I look at you, I, I don't know most of you. I've been here one time. It's good to be back. But he is looking for your availability. And when we are available, it's amazing what God can do when he lights the fire in each of our lives. It doesn't consume. It transforms. Yes, our lives are ultimately insignificant in the world until the glory of God fills us. And when the glory of God feels, uh, fills us, it changes us. You know, the world looks at the church without God's power, and it's nothing more than a thorn bush. That's all it is. We can't build a building fancy enough. We can't have music that is so overwhelming or the landscaping that's so beautiful that the world's going to be attracted to it. But when the church gets on fire from God, when we let God, and we are the church, friends, it's not this building, you and I, we are the church. When God builds a fire in us, and yet the world says they're not consumed. I want to turn aside and see this thing. The world's looking at you. 
He's looking at me. And if there's a fire that's burning and yet we're not consumed, the world says, I want to know more about this. And each time I come, well, this is just a second, I've seen improvements that have been made to your church. And that's wonderful. We should be proud of what we come to each Sunday to worship in God. But that's not going to attract the world. It's going to be the fire of God that burns within you and I that people come and say, why aren't they consumed? What's going on? I've never seen a person like this before. And Moses said, I've never seen a bush like this before. Burn. People come to God. If we just come and sit, and it's the ordinary, it's the usual, it's not going to attract people. But when we begin to burn with the fire of God within us, He takes the ordinary and makes it the extraordinary. And it doesn't make any difference who we are. It doesn't make any difference our abilities or our inabilities doesn't make any difference what we've accomplished because it's God in us that makes all the difference. Then I come to verse 4 in this chapter, and verse 4 says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. So the second truth I find here is God has a passion for us. He's he's got a passion for you. He's got a passion for me. He loves us with a love that we can't even understand fully. And when God said or saw that he came, he saw a man that was broken. A man whose self-confidence was gone. His ambition had been abandoned. He had surrendered to his circumstances. And I wonder today how many of us would admit today we have a tendency to submit to our circumstances. My friends, your circumstances shouldn't define you. It's the power and the fire of God burning within you. That's what needs to define you. And Moses, who was shattered, he was leading sheep for 40 years. I mean, it wasn't just, hey, this is a part-time job, and then I'm getting back to my good job. No, this was 40 years. And in the eyes of the world of that day, there was nothing lower than to be a shepherd. These were the guys that were often troublemakers. These were the guys that didn't seem to have any abilities or or anything to add to society. They were the dregs of the earth. Here is Moses from the adopted son of Pharaoh. He was so discouraged, friends. 
he named his first son Gershom. You know what that means? It means driven or thrust out. He was driven or thrust out of Egypt, and he was so discouraged, he names his son after his experience. Forty years of failure, loneliness, desperation, exhaustion, and frustration, and suddenly he goes to the burning bush. Sees a burn bush that's not being consumed. He went over to that bush, and the first words he heard were, Moses, Moses, he knows your name. He's not here today saying, oh, that's for somebody else. He knows your name. I don't know your name, but God does. In fact, I, I can only name two people here, and they're sitting on the front row over here. They're my grandkids. I don't know the rest of your name, but God does. You may be sitting way back in the corner and feeling, hey, I, I, I'm <laughs> insignificant, but God knows your name, and that, what a difference that makes. third thing I see as I look at verse 5 of this chapter is, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And I see here God is a new perspective for each of us. To recognize we are standing on holy ground, take your shoes off. When Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send my spirit, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And I think sometimes we forget that when we are filled with the Spirit, one of the primary things that the Spirit does is makes us holy. When we were pastoring before heading off to Africa to be missionaries, and after Africa, three more years in the Caribbean ministering, training pastors, There was a lady who lived just two blocks from the church on the same street in Archfield, Wisconsin. And she came with her boy who was about, oh, I don't know, 11 or 12, and they were there every Sunday. One Sunday they weren't there. And the next Sunday they weren't there. And the third Sunday they weren't there. But I went by her house every time I, I, I went downtown. I drove by your house all the time, and I thought, I'm going to stop in and see if there's something wrong. And I can pray with them and encourage them. And, 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 and I walked up to the door, and I could hear music being played. And I knocked on the door, and nobody came, but I, I'm kind of a persistent guy. So, so I knocked some more, and finally the door opened just a crack. Why are you here? And I said, because we've missed you for the last three weeks. And I was wondering if you were sick and I needed to pray for you or you were walking through some difficulty and you need some encouraging words. And she said, no, Pastor, we're not sick and, and, and we're doing okay. Well, I said, how come you're not going to church? And she said to me, do you promise you won't laugh? And I said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I promise I won't laugh. And she opened the door, and there she stood, 
and her face and her arms that were there, they were orange. Now, this is a lady that was a health nut. And we had just come out, this was the early 1960s, we had just come out with, with the revelation that beta carotene was good for you and carrots were a wonderful source and so she became an addict to carrots. She ate them raw, she ate them juiced, she ate them cooked, she, she, she ate carrots until it turned her skin orange. Something I laughed. <laughs> it was so funny. I, I couldn't. I had to apologize, but I laughed when there she stood, orange. She was filled with orange carrots. She became orange. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you become holy. It's His Spirit within you that produces that. I struggle to be holy in myself. You know, he didn't give us the Holy Spirit so we could speak in other tongues. Uh, we, we've emphasized that uh, wrongly in the assemblies of God. He gave us the Holy Spirit to make us holy. He gave us the Holy Spirit to give us power to witness. He gave us the Holy Spirit to understand His Word. He gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us. He gave us the Spirit to make life worthwhile and effective. And God said, take your sandals off. The place where you're standing is holy ground. It had been 40 years since Moses had been intellectually challenged. He, he could figure most things out, but he could not figure out a bush that burned but was not consumed. The leaves remained green. It, it looked like a healthy bush, and yet it was on fire. He didn't have an answer for that. You know, I don't have an answer for what God does. He does a lot of things I don't understand. But he's not asking me to understand. He's asking me to take my shoes off. He's asking me to be on holy ground. He's asking me to be open to transformation. And as we begin a new year, my friends, we need transformation. We need the fire of God burning in our life. We don't need to understand it. We just need to receive it and let it live through us. And it will attract a world. That's saying, what's happening here? What difference does it make? You know, we often pray, God, change my circumstances. When God wants our circumstances to change us. How many times do you pray and say, oh God, I've got a backache, I, I need your touch. Oh, God, I've got some financial difficulty. I need your provision. Oh, God, I'm struggling with somebody, and I need your grace to deal with them because they're ornery. We forget we're ornery at times, too. Instead of praying, Lord, what are you saying through these circumstances to me? What do you want to change in me? How do you want me to be different in 2023? 
And then God speaks to him. <laughs> he says, take your shoes off. Maybe we ought to take our shoes off right now. They were standing on holy ground. Oh, it's not just in a building, though. This, this was not in a fancy temple or, or church or, or building. This was out in the desert. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. We need to be on God's holy ground. And then in verse 6, I see another truth. That truth is God has a promise for us. For it says in verse 6, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You know, God chose to identify with his ancestors and with him that day. And he says, I made a covenant with them, and I want to make a covenant with you today, Moses. If you'll let me light a fire inside of you, I'm going to use you to make a difference in this world. You know, Abraham had his inconsistencies. He gets to the promised land, and there's a famine, and what's he do? He runs to Egypt. And he's got a very attractive wife. And he says, you know, in that day, if you were a foreigner and they wanted your wife, you were dead. And he didn't want to die. So he says, this is my sister. Inconsistencies. And he did it more than once, friends. And then there was Jacob. What do you know about, excuse me, there was Isaac. What do you know about Isaac. About the only thing we know about Isaac, not that he did any great things, was that he favored one of his sons and his wife favored the other. Oh, my friends, never favor one child of yours over another. They are equally precious. Some of them may be easy to deal with and some may be difficult. Your pastor was a difficult child. I'm serious. I'm his grandpa. He, he was a difficult child. But God doesn't look at who we were or what we were. God looks at what we can become. And so he, he overlooks Abraham's inconsistencies and Isaac's inadequateness, and, and he looks at Jacob, who had certainly improper conduct. He robs his brother of, of the blessing, and then he gets married, and he robs his father-in-law of sheep until his herd is bigger than his father-in-law's. God said, I made a covenant with them, and I'm going to make a covenant with you today. And every time it says Moses, you know, you can put your name in there. I think sometimes we fail to put our own name in Scripture and realize that what God's saying to them, he's saying to us today. Yes, that's right. Then we come to the last four verses, verses 7 through 10. And it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned... Oh, I love this. He's concerned about my suffering as he was concerned about their suffering. 
And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Wow. God says to him, I've heard the cry of your people. Moses could have said, you know, God, I am so glad you're going to do something about that situation. Hey, God, I tried for 40 years, and I, I, I messed up. I, I, nothing good came of it. And now, God, you're going to do it. <laughs> Praise God. And God says, no, hold on, buddy. You got it wrong, Moses. You're not going to sit on the mountain and watch me do it. You're going to be my instrument yes. to bring this about. Yes. My friends, I know the Bible says that except the Spirit draws someone, they don't come to God. So God's Spirit's working. But it's you and I who have to proclaim the gospel. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear except someone tell them? And that's you and I. We have to be the messengers of God. Many of the people think, Maybe some of you here this morning think, hey, I just come to sit and I sing and, and I put an offering in, but pastor, he's going he's gonna to do the job. You know, I have never heard in all of my studies and, 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 and where I've been, I've never heard once of a shepherd giving birth to a sheep. God's not saying, pastor, do it. He's saying, shepherds are to guide and help the sheep. Sheep bear sheep, not not shepherds. And it's you and I who must bear the sheep. So he says to Moses, you're not going to sit on the mountain. You're You're going to be in the midst of it. And of course, we know how the story goes on, and he goes down and sees Pharaoh, and there are ten plagues, and I'm not going to get in that because we're just dealing with the burning bush in the seminar that we've come to hear this morning. And so I would ask you today, are you willing to turn aside? Are you willing to let your life be interrupted that God might do something great through you in this world in which we live. At Christmas, one of my favorite Christmas songs is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And if you know the last verse, it says, but there is no peace on earth. That was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Known God. I don't know that much about him except he was a great poet. But he winds up saying, there is no peace. That's the world we're living in today. There is no peace. 
And he's sending you and I into that world if we'll allow our lives to be interrupted. Are you open to God's call in your life? I think all too often we have looked at young people and say, do you feel the call of God and go into ministry of some kind? Well, God's got a call in every single one of us. There are people you will reach that the pastor cannot reach. There are people that he will reach that I could never reach. Each of us is unique. We're as unique as our fingerprints are, are unique. We're as unique as, as, as every snowflake is unique. Because he wants to use us in a particular way to an audience that only we can touch. And I'd also ask, do you believe that God is willing to empower you to a lost I was amazed at a seminar I attended once. It was several days with speakers. And the one speaker came from Baltimore. And I'm out on the West Coast in the state of Washington. And he went and started a church in Baltimore. He was from Texas. And when he went, three families said, we'll go with you to help start this church. And so... There's three families and he and his wife that go to Baltimore. And he said, I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to be accountable to the board. I'm going to be accountable to how I spend my time. And so he said, each year, I go to the board and say, I'm going to spend so much time winning lost souls to Christ. And so if you don't see me ministering to you, understand God's spoken to me that there are lost people out there that I need one-on-one, -on -one, not on a Sunday morning, but one-on-one -on -one to reach. And when he moved into his house, the neighbor next door was working at a factory and they were part of a baseball league. And he could see the neighbor out there practicing, and, and, and he said, hey, he said, do you play ball? He said, oh, yeah, our, our, our factory has its own team. He said, this year we're, we're in trouble. We don't have a shortstop. And he said, you know, I love to play baseball, and I played shortstop. Do you allow anybody that doesn't work to be on your team? And he said, oh, yeah, a certain amount of players can, can be from somewhere else. The Reverend, I, I don't know if you'd like to be with our bunch. He said, after every game, we go to somebody's house and we, we have our beers and we, we have our party. And he said to his neighbor, hey, I would like to invite everybody to my house after the first game. He said, I'm not going to serve you beer except root beer. So if you guys want to drink beer, tell them to bring their own, because I, I, I won't have that. I'll have, I'll have some food, and, and I'll have some sodas. And in two years' time, the next-door neighbor and half the team come to faith in Christ 
and we're now sitting in the church that he was planting in Baltimore. And he said, this past year, as I went to my board, who I feel accountable to, I told him that God was saying to me to spend 70% of my time winning lost people one-on-one. He joins joins a pastoring team. Why? To win his next-door neighbor and the team he's on to Jesus Christ. He said, we're going to have an intermission, and then I'll be back again to finish up uh, my part of this seminar. But if you'd like to, come on up, and I'll show you my day timer. That was before we had smartphones. And he said, you can see where I'm spending my time. The Christians in your church are with a lost world out there that need to be reached one by one. I went up and I looked at his day timer and sure enough it was an appointment with this person. Uh, I know a pastor that tried to win the local dentist and, and he wouldn't have anything to do with the pastor so he made an appointment and when he got in and got in the chair the dentist said well what's your problem today? He said I don't have a problem but you do. And I'm here to talk to you about the solver of problems, Jesus Christ. And the dentist said, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk about that. And he said, but I'm paying you. I'm paying you, and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to use any of your supplies. All you have to do is listen. And sitting in the dentist chair, he witnessed to the dentist and paid whatever the standard fee was because he wanted to win that dentist to Jesus Christ. Will you let your life be interrupted? Will you go to the Burning Bush Seminar and let God light a fire within you that as you walk through life, you're going to impact people. Yes, they'll show up on Sunday. Because they need to be discipled. They need to to know God's word. They need to understand who God is. But you and I, who one-on-one, as we are are on fire for God, yet not consumed, that makes a difference in the world in which we live. Politicians aren't going to do it. We know that. Financial... Wizards aren't going to do that. We need to know how to handle our finances, so you'll be here on Wednesday night for the next four weeks because we need it. Finances aren't going to do it for us. Doctors aren't going to do it for us. It's only God's people who are on fire and yet not consumed that share. Hey, I don't know how to do that. Just tell them what's happened in your life. That's all you have to do. Someone said evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Now you need to tell to somebody else. So this morning, I want to invite you to turn aside. I want you to attend the Burning Bush Seminar.
and for this year to be a different different year. You're not insignificant to God. He doesn't look at your abilities, as I said. He looks at your availability. He's wanting you to start this new year saying, set me a fire. Let me be burning for you, Jesus. Make a difference in this world. I want to invite the ushers to come forward at this time. Uh, we're going to still have a, a time of response and prayer that Pastor Larry is going to lead us in. But before we do, many of you are aware, uh, just from practice, whenever we have a guest speaker, we receive a love offering for them. And it's right to do that. It's honoring of a guest who's here with us. The Apostle Paul says a workman is worthy of his wages. And he put in some great work today to bless us, so we want to bless the man of God in return, so um, just as you're preparing for that, uh, you know, give generously, you can you can make it out to the church, and then we're going to cut him a check, or you can throw cash in, whatever you do, uh, but I want to thank you for that. Let, let me pray over this, then Pastor Larry's going to come back, and he's going to lead us in a time of response. Father, we thank you for this incredible man of God who has impacted us for your kingdom today, and Father, right now, there are interruptions that need to take place in our lives. And you are stepping in, you are putting your foot in the door to interrupt us. So Lord, right now in these next few moments, as as we really culminate this gathering time on this first Sunday of the new year, I pray that we would allow ourselves to let you in and interrupt our situation. So, Father, I pray that you would bless these tithes and these, excuse me, this offering, this special love offering for Pastor Larry. Thank you for generous hearts, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Larry. And the church where I'm on staff is the pastor of seniors and missions pastor and pastoral care. I looked at the seniors that are hearing the music on Sunday morning. So I went to the senior pastor and I said, would you allow me to start a Sunday night service? Because like most churches, Sunday night is no longer service night. Can I start a Sunday night service for the seniors? We're going to sing the songs that they grew up with. The volume will be what they enjoy. The younger generation doesn't just want to hear the So it's got to be loud. It's got to be reverberating. The floor's got to be, be vibrating. That's old folks. We, we would rather have it, you know, the Gaither style music. So I started the Sunday night service. 
in October, I started a series on prayer, and you have just had your pastor talk about prayer. That's the beginning of everything, friends. And when I finished and closed in prayer, one of the gentlemen sitting on the front row, most people don't like to sit on the front row, but he was sitting right there. He said, Pastor, would it be okay if we have a time of prayer right now? Because after the service, we had a fellowship time. We call, we call our Sunday night service Sunday night connection. Connect with God and worship in the Word. Connect with each other in food and fellowship. And so it's potluck, whatever people bring. We don't know what's going to show up. Sometimes it's all desserts, and sometimes we've got good soups, and, and, and we've got lasagna, or we've got baked beans, or whatever it is. Pastor, rather than going out there, sitting around the table, enjoying the food and fellowship, would we be out of order to pray? I said, no. So I said, folks, I want you to pray. If you want to come forward and pray, come forward and pray. Not for healing. Oh, we, we still do that. We pray for the sick. But to pray that God will do something in our hearts and lives. And I said, I'm not going to tell you what to pray about. I'm just going to invite you to come and pray. You know, we prayed for 20 minutes. Just crying out to God. God, interrupt my life. God, set me on fire for you. And I thought this morning it would be good to invite you. If you want to come forward, come forward. But we're not going to talk about healing from physical needs. We're going to talk about healing from spiritual needs. And if you're comfortable sitting where you are, just sit there and cry out to God. If you're comfortable turning around and kneeling where you are, it doesn't make any difference. God's here. But he's inviting you and I to come and say, Lord, today, interrupt my life. Lord, today, 